Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's go right to the phones. Joining us is Nate Zielinski, who joins us at 10 o'clock every Saturday. And, Nate, I'm, I'm confused and befuddled. I don't know whether to grab a fly rod, a conventional fishing rod, an ice fishing rod, a rifle, or a shotgun. There's just so much going on, and the weather won't give me a clue. I'll tell you what, right now it is all about loading the truck with everything and uh, and just literally burning every hours of daylight. You know, start off early with your big game hunts and those peak hours of uh, early and late, then go grab, you know, and get the opportunity to have some waterfowl midday, maybe jump on some ice, you know, it's freezing up in some high country or hit the, hit the last remaining day of, of open water in the high country on a boat and uh, er- everything is happening. And uh, unfortunately, everything is good. You know, a lot of times, we can, you know, weigh the options and say, hey, you know, yeah, the fishing's good, but this is better. Right now, everything is in full tilt. So, uh, yeah, a lot of decisions to be made. Well, you, you couldn't be more right. You know, I always keep uh, my long rods and a, and a bunch of tackle in my truck during the summer, and then I switch it over to my ice fishing as we get more into winter and keep a, a small shelter and my electronics and everything. You never know when you're going to have to make an emergency fishing stop. And I'll, <laughs> That's exactly it, Terry. I, I I know you want to talk, give us a hunting update, too, and talk fishing both, but I actually, they had, somebody was on the ice up at the Delaney's this last week. Now, I don't know if that was smart, and I know somebody that I won't name this, a friend of ours, that was on the ice on the front range on a small pond this week. So I'm not saying anybody should do that, but we could have some pretty good ice. You just never know. The weather can change so drastically. But tell us about what's going on, what you're seeing, and where you would recommend people go. Absolutely, Terry. You know, a little bit of everything is going on. I do want to start off with that just for a a one-minute kind of spiel. Um, There's no doubt. There is ice in a lot of different places. Um, And, and again, it was a cold snap. It's early. I would say that, you know, maybe half the places where people are stepping on ice will continue to stay frozen. will get better. Um, A majority of the places where people stood on ice will be open water by this afternoon. Um, So, again, it is not a situation where I would say – it is what I would consider ice fishing season uh, for those stepping out. It, again, it is a, it's a risky time of year when you get those, those real early cold snaps because you build that hard ice, which, which is very supportive of weight, uh, but it is not very thick. So regardless, um, I would say the ice fishing season has started, but it's one of those things that if I was giving advice to anyone, even your very seasoned experts, uh, let's give it a, a few weeks or a month. Take advantage of all the other opportunities that are out there, and then let's let that ice get a little thicker before we really start hitting it real hard. But uh, there are people standing on hard water for sure, so we'll, we'll kind of start the show with that. Yeah, and I, I, th- I, I couldn't – got to second that. Be extremely careful, folks. Don't trust ice right now. The conditions are changing rapidly. And it wouldn't be, you know, you, it shouldn't be as tempting as it will be in a few weeks because we still have a lot of uh, open water opportunities, Nate. I mean, that's it, Terry. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk fishing and hunting. And I will say that 
we, we've been talking about hunting and talking about ways to be more successful. And I, there's a lot of new hunters out there and there's a lot of hunters who maybe have been hunting for a long time. Maybe they haven't been successful or maybe, uh, maybe you're on top of your game and you're having a great year. Uh, no matter where you fall in that situation, uh, today is the last weekend, or I shouldn't say today, but this is the last weekend of your combined elk and deer in the second rifle season. We then have uh, basically a five-day break. Then we go into third rifle season. Um, second season has been great to a lot of hunters. There's a lot of elk, a lot of deer uh, have been harvested, so it's been a, a good season. Early on in the week, having that early snowfall uh, was huge for the fires. It was absolutely huge for the hunting season. So a lot of great stuff happening there. As it does warm up, um, I, I think we got cold enough for long enough and had enough snow, but I don't think the warm-up's going to do a lot for it. I think we, we started to see some migrations. Um, we started to see some of those mule deer start to show the real early signs of rut by no means are they in rut uh but you know we're starting to see them coming out of the high country coming out of the timber um you know you're seeing them basically check does at night so uh you know again they're not hanging with the does as far as the real big bucks go but we're definitely seeing them you know in the middle of the night uh you know we don't see it happening but sometime between that that you know eight nine o'clock at night going up to maybe two three in the morning these bucks are coming down to check the does see if there's anything happening then they're retreating uh away from those does about first light by the time it comes morning uh but regardless at least they're starting to get active so you're starting to see slight association where you didn't have big bucks in the area and now where you have those does you're starting to see those big bucks you know skirting the tree line um you know not with the does but in the vicinity of the does so that's exciting to see uh and then the elk hunting has definitely been good we're seeing a, a major separation of the herd mature bulls from the cows so you're seeing a lot of younger bulls with the cows and the cows are in those big groups and they're kind of hanging in more they're you know facing into their their wintering patterns uh those big bulls are separate but they have recovered from the rut so just as of the last couple days we're seeing those bigger bulls starting to spend more time on their feet more time during daylight where you can actually see them uh so that's exciting to see just because again for the for the first portion of the season a lot of those big bulls were nocturnal they were very held up in the timber what we call the post-rut stage basically recuperating and just in the last couple of days they started to kind of slide out of that timber so that's very exciting to see um but one thing we want to talk about with the success rate we continue to see hunters possibly making some slight errors um and we talk about this literally every show but i i continue to see it in the field so we're going to reiterate it on one more time but so many times these animals activity is literally a short window in the morning and a short window in the evening where we're seeing activity you know on the elk it might only last an hour in the morning sometimes the deer will go two three hours in the morning but then that's it they're in their bed then they're going to come out again in the last hour or two of the evening. And that's when you want to be pursuing this animal. That's when you want to be watching them, being ready to make that stock. Um, but once they're in their beds, the odds of opportunity of you sneaking up and, and getting a successful hunt and harvest on these animals while in their beds is very, very low. So low, it's not worth trying. So I see so many hunters that are out hiking around, walking around, you know, midday, and all they're doing is wearing themselves out and, and ruining a lot of opportunity for what they would have had they backed out and let those animals rest and let those animals get back up, you know, into their daily habits and hunting them when they're out in the open, when you have a chance to make a stock. Um, So we talk about fishing. This is one of the biggest things. You know, when you go out hunting, 
hunt the, that peak period. But, you know, by mid-morning, once the animals are in their beds, instead of walking around and burning yourself out and really hurting yourself and others in that whole area, back out. Go fishing. Grab a fishing rod. Go catch some spawning browns. I mean, there's some kokanee. There's, there's so much opportunity for fish in the mountains right now to where spend your midday occupied fishing and then go back out and hunt in those key periods um, or even take a nap. But the biggest thing is you want to be actively hunting and hunting hard when these animals are active, but when they're inactive, really back out. I, I saw a lot of hunts um, get ruined this week to where guys had good patterns. They had it made. And instead of just backing out, they pushed it, um, you know, never to see that animal again. So, so keep that in mind. If you're out hunting now uh, or you're really prepping for, for the third rifle season for elk and deer, hunt in the peak times after that back out and hunt them again when they get back out of their beds your odds of success will go drastically up for sure before we transition out of hunting into fishing i do want to mention i saw a great picture of a a gentleman out with his dad who had a nice deer Uh, that must have created some great memories for you Oh, Terry, it was absolutely awesome. We uh, we had a great hunt. My my dad, uh, you know, seventy two years old, have some limitations on on hiking things like that. Um, and in the past, we have gone really into hunts so much about the harvest, and it's just one of those things, you know, Terry. I hunt for a living. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of video and educational content, and, and hunting for me is is very much. It's not necessarily that group sport. It, a lot of times, I'm solo or with a camera crew, and it is very very dedicated very physical we we push the limits um you know to to have a successful hunt and my dad and i went out with the concept of hey let's just spend time together who knows how long we'll be able to continue to hunt together um so let's just go out if if we create success great we saw i think 40 40 bucks over the course of of a handful of days uh you know hundreds and hundreds of does um and so many of them were just weren't in an opportunity for us to to make a stock um and really just having that that positive attitude and kind of quality time together and uh, yeah, last Wednesday uh, we were able to get into to 100 yards on a, on a great big old buck, and uh, yeah, my dad made a great shot, and uh, we had a successful hunt together. So it was a great week hunting with my dad for sure. Oh, I'm sure the memories forever, Nate. Nate, before we run out of time, let's transition to fishing. What's going on? You know, a lot of stuff happening. Today is the last day for boating uh, at 11 Mile at Antero, and a lot of those different high mountain lakes are going to be shutting down the A&S stations today, uh, and those bites have been tr- tremendous. Um, I actually haven't been on the show in a little bit just because we've been doing so many different things up in the high country. My schedule's been crazy, but Antero for rainbows, browns, even tiger muskie has been fishing fantastic, so we're excited about that. Uh, 11 Mile's been fishing good. Everything right now, as far as fish activity, quality, um, is lining up to where the the ending of the open water season was tremendous and i really think the ice fishing will pick right back up there you know again in a month six weeks so excited about that so the high country is closing down to boating but the fishing is still good uh the wading and shore action at all of those lakes is still going to be tremendous again just because they're closing to boating does not mean they're closing to, to a lot of the shore access so uh the the opportunity at both of those fisheries in south park is through the roof um from shore fishing so keep that in mind slow down those presentations uh but a lot of opportunity for pike rainbows you know almost all species from shore there then transition down here to the front range 
Obviously, uh, tonight's the full moon. We are in peak opportunity for some huge walleye. Uh, I know my entire staff's been out. Dustin Sigler in particular, uh, he has been on a big walleye pattern uh, that is continuing to develop. It's good now, and it's only going to get better as these water temperatures continue to fall and the bait continues to gather and drop into that deeper water. So uh, front-range walleye action is tremendous. Uh, We are also, just as of really the last week, seeing the smallmouth bass drop into deeper water. Now, a lot of guys don't like that. Uh, For me personally, as a person who is much more of a a deep water walleye style angler, I I struggle. I don't struggle, but I don't don't love it when the bass are in that shallow water. I love it when those bass drop into 20, 30 foot. You can find them on your electronics. You can separate the young fish from the big fish. You can drop shot and spoon them in deep water and have opportunity to a lot of big fish. So the front range walleye and bass action uh, is tremendous. That's another great opportunity opportunity is going to last especially the boating season another month and present a lot of opportunity at a lot of fish and a lot of big fish so karen and i were out just a while ago um and we found some smallmouth down in 35 feet of water and we were using jigging wraps and johnny darters and those kind of baits and i don't think we caught a fish under 15 inches and one of them was easily pushing 20 i mean you catch it's just a big fish time of the year nate what type of presentation are you using to go after the walleyes you know, right now we have basically, you know, two presentations and a handful of bait. Uh, daytime, we're throwing a lot of blade baits and a lot of jigging wraps. Uh, fairly aggressive reaction fishing. We are keeping the bait low in the water column, so we're usually targeting structure. We're not hopping the bait more than 6 to 10 inches off bottom, but, but with a lot of action in that short window to create that reaction strike. So blades and jigging wraps during the day at Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Pueblo, uh, all those are fishing really well with those reaction techniques. And then those low-light periods, and or even all night long the jerkbait bite really just started you know basically a week ago uh, as far as being really prevalent and, and it's continuing to go so grabbing a jerkbait and fishing you know that a first hour of light the last hour of light and or all night long is a great way right now to catch numbers of fish and possibly the fish of a lifetime so uh, for sure keep that in mind for those walleyes again day or night there's great opportunity well, and we always get asked about shore opportunities for walleyes. And as far as the jigging wraps, the blade baits, that's pretty much uh, a boat activity. You have to use your electronics. You have to find the fish or you'll wear your arm out working those baits. But when you're on them, it's a great bite. But the jerk bait bite, if you're willing to go out at night, um, you can access some of that from shore. You know, uh, Terry, right now, honestly, the jerkbait bite, whether you're from shore or from a boat, very much like spring, we're fishing the same waters. I'm, I'm in my boat, and my boat's in, you know, five to eight feet of water, but I'm landing my bait in a foot to two foot of water right on the shore and working it back out. So whether you're on a boat or shore, we're literally fishing the same fish, the same window of presentation. So uh, 100% a shore opportunity for the jerk baits. And, again, I wouldn't say you, you can't do the, the jigging wraps and blade bits from shore, but you, like you said, it's going to be a little bit more opportunistic. You're really going to have to find the right spot. You know, you look at a Cherry Creek, and there's two or three spots uh, that are very productive from shore, but you, you have to know where those spots are, find them, learn those patterns. Uh, so, again, everything's accomplishable, but if you're looking for the best opportunity and the easiest opportunity, uh, grabbing a jerkbait at night is definitely the way to go. And, again, uh, opportunity-wise, the same exact thing as you're going to have from a boat um, and the possibility of some of the biggest fish of the year are right now. So definitely worth it. All right. All right, Nate, we are out of time. If you got a lot of stuff coming up, I know. Tell people how they get a hold of you. 
Yeah, you know, you can always watch our Facebook page, tightlineoutdoors.com. We are rebuilding our website right now, so we're excited about that. Uh, coming soon, we'll have all the information and updates uh, on ice fishing schools, our ice addiction tournament, guiding, uh, kind of everything that we got going on. So, again, the website should be coming up here uh, within the next month or so. A lot of information on everything that we're doing, and obviously still doing a lot of guide trips and a lot of fishing. So, again, everything's available at Tightline Outdoors uh, on Facebook, and then coming soon, tightlineoutdoors.com. All right, my friend, we will talk to you next week and say hi to your dad. That was a great, I love that post. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. Speaking of great resources, coming up in the next segment, we have another one. Uh, Brad Peterson is going to join us, and we're not only going to talk fishing, but we're going to transition to waterfall and then take that right into shotgunning with the folks from Colorado Clays. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, I believe he's even out in the field hunting, is uh, Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. Actually, I am back at the house already on a, after a successful hunt. Oh, that's really great. Now, I want to talk about the hunting, but before that... We're kind of transitioning. Nate was talking fishing. Let's do some fishing, and then we'll we'll pick up on the waterfall in just a little bit. What have you been seeing out in the northern front range fishing? You know, I caught kind of the tail end of what Nate was talking about on some of the the uh, walleye bites, and seeing a little bit of the similar. But the thing is, some of our lakes up north have kind of gotten so low that the uh, the jig and wrap and blade bait bite isn't what it normally is, but people are getting some walleyes on jerk baits up shallow, and there is a, a real deep water basin, almost a springtime bite pulling lead core. But for another thing that people should really uh, look at this time of year is both the panfish are moving into their fall wintering areas, and uh, a lot of that is kind of a rocky shoreline, someplace that warms up, still has bug life or any type of structure, you know, boat docks, marinas. And then the, the state, I talked with the CPW here just this week, and the fires may have slowed up trout stocking just a little bit, but everything's going to be getting their trout. And so a lot of the ponds and lakes are getting trout right now. And those trout and panfish provide great opportunity for shore anglers. Uh, and on, they provide great opportunity for anglers of all ages and skill levels too, Brad. And it, it's a great way to take your kids out fishing, whether it's a small pond or whether it's even the shore of a bigger lake because the stock – Boyd's a great lake. It gets thousands of stock trout. There's going to be great shore opportunities for quite some time there before that freezes up. And you don't need a lot of fancy gear to, to go take advantage of this, do you? No, you don't. Um, this time of year, you know, you can fish the bottom presentation, but a lot of those fish are cruising. So what I like to use is is a a pencil float or a slip float and a small little jig tipped with either a you know, like a, a biobait egg, a tube jig, uh, you know, or even some some sort of bait. Um, and 
any of those baits are going to work both for panfish and for trout. So what I'll do is I'll throw it out, I'll let it sit in a spot, and then I'm just going to pull it about 18 inches. And what that does is it causes the jig to rise up as you're pulling it, and then it slowly sweeps back down to that depth. And then I'm going to let it sit for, you know, 10 to 30 seconds, see if a fish bites it. And um, if not, I keep moving it. The one thing about fish, particularly the pan fish this time of year, is once they school up pretty tight. So once you find that school, keep making that same cast over and over and make sure you're getting your bait into that area. And it's going to really increase the overall number of fish you catch. I was just going to say that same thing, that as you're moving it, you, you'll you get the panfish active. And if you've got an active one in the school, if you get right back there, a lot of time they start getting competitive. You can really catch a lot in a short period of time. The trout tend to move around a little more. You've got to keep making casts. You almost have to. They're going to be close to shore with the cooler water, but you almost have to intercept them, don't you? Yeah, you do. And I like to target spots that either are going to funnel the fish, so maybe a transition in the bottom content, you know, maybe an edge between rocky or sandy or or muddy shoreline, a point that's sticking out, or any spot that some currents are running in, whether it's a little creek, an inlet that's coming, all those are going to attract more trout and going to be a higher percentage area. So I kind of target those areas, spend a little more time on those, and then, then maybe I'll walk down the shoreline making periodic casts on stuff that is real similar until I get to the next good piece of structure, and I may spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes there. If I don't get a bite, then I'm going to keep moving and, you know, try to intercept those fish. But um, another key that I would say when it's the big reservoirs, these fish get stocked at the boat ramps. So whether it's the North Cove at Chatfield, uh, the boat ramp at Boyd, that's where those fish get dropped in. So when they do get dropped in, there's a lot of fish that stay right in that general area, and then they slowly start spreading out into the lake. So kind of concentrate, if you've only got a limited amount of time, concentrate in those boat ramp areas and when they're stocked, you're going to see them. The, the trout are going to be up hitting stuff on the surface. And so you'll be able to see that activity. And if the jig doesn't work, you know, a little spinner or a little uh, a small floating rappler crankbait, anything like that, those stocker trout are going to be aggressive. So something with bright color action will produce quite a few fish. All right, let's transition to waterfall while we've still got time. Um, we definitely saw, I'm sure, some migratory birds come down. I don't know if this cold spell pushed out the resident birds. But what's going on with ducks and geese? Right now, um, most of the state goose season is not open. Um, I think that's, depending on where you're at, it's going to be opening in the next several weekends throughout November. Uh, snow goose did open this weekend. You're seeing a few snow geese around, but ducks are where you really need to be spending your time. Our resident ducks kind of got, a lot of them got pushed out in that September snowstorm that we had. So the first couple weeks of duck season were a little bit on the tough side. But that snowstorm that came in last weekend brought a bunch of birds down. And the thing about it is, is these are all new birds. They don't know where to go. 
So one of the best spots that I've found here this week to be hunting is the South Platte River. And a great thing about the South Platte is once you get east of about Brush, the state has a lot of uh, state wildlife areas out there that you have access to phenomenal hunting. And I've talked to numerous people that are going out there and shooting, you know, close to limits of birds on public ground right now. Now, the warm weather, they're going to fly, you know, more the the real early morning, maybe in the afternoon. But if you can find a windy day or the next front that pushes in, I think you're going to have some really good duck hunting around. And the way the weather looks, I expect these ducks to probably stick around until Thanksgiving. And by then, we should be getting some more birds pushing in. So it sounds like ducks are the way to go right now. Any any tips? Do you need to be doing a lot of calling? You said hunt early and late is the best. Are you hunting mostly from blinds then? Or are you doing any jump shooting? Are you calling? How are you approaching them? Decoys? You know, mostly I've been decoying. They're decoying pretty well. Um, I was down kind of in the, the Fort Lupton area today, and they responded to calling decently. Uh, but it was more just about having your decoys in a visible area of, slower current on the river and just calling enough to get their attention and once they saw those decoys they were going to come in you didn't have to hit them too hard now talking to guys that have been out east they said those ducks are you know answering you know responding to your calls like they're on strings so don't be afraid to call too much these are new birds um the one thing i would say is be a little bit softer they're still a fair number of leaves on the trees, and that can cause some echoing down in the river bottom. So if you call just a little softer, it seems a little bit more natural. But, yeah, I would stick with decoys, and you don't need a lot. You know, a couple dozen decoys will get you by right now. And um, try to probably target those quiet water areas on the main river channel, and you should have some good success. What about areas like Bar Lake where you only have pass shooting? You don't have, you know, you got to be out just outside the park, and you get the birds that are coming off the lake past shooting. Do you think that'll be a way to go this next few days, or is that going to be difficult with these bluebird skies? You know, I think that's going to be a little bit more challenging with the bluebird skies. If you're, if you're going to be past shooting like that in a situation, I usually like to target days that either you have a low sky, whether it's a light snow or something, or a heavy wind. And right now, the way it's looking, we're not going to be getting either one of those. So if I was going to spend time, I would drive a little bit further. One of the other places to look at, you know, the state does have some reservation areas that have ponds that I'm sure could be really good right now, whether it's Andrick or um, the Brush Prairie Ponds. You know, some of those places like that banner, some of those places are – great opportunities for these early seasons you do have to make a reservation but the nice thing about that is you don't have to get there at 2 a.m to get your spot because you know you have you're going to be the only one in your zone so i wouldn't overlook those areas as well especially as the weather is going to be nice this week all right we got to go brad but if people want more information or book a trip with you how do they get a hold of you the best way is uh You can reach me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or give me a call at 303-829-3998. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again very soon. All right. Brad Peterson. 
Brad Peterson from Brad Peterson Outdoors. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays is going to join us, and he's going to talk about how we can make you a more effective shooter during this duck and goose season. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, growing up and still having fun. Let's go right to the phones, talk about, well, he's having fun. I don't know if he ever grew up. Joining us from Colorado Clays is J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Good morning, Terry. <laughs> hey, I, I had to get one shot in early. You know, come on. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you and I, you and I had a great time out doing some bass fishing a few days ago, and we uh, did quite well, my friend. Thank you. No, yeah, well, thank you, Terry. That was a good time. Did, did some good work out there. Yeah, it was fun. Now, I don't know if you were listening to Brad, but we were talking about waterfall and the opportunities that looks like there's some great duck opportunities right now. And then a little later in November, we'll get some good goose opportunities. We've, you know, you have all the different shooting disciplines at Colorado clays. You have rifle and pistol, of course, but you have, you have skeet, you have trap, you have wobble trap. We've talked about those type of disciplines as far as upland game quite a bit, but waterfall presents a whole different usually type of shots and a variety of shots how do you get people more prepared for the waterfall season and where do you start uh well you know terry i mean of course i always tell people to start with the colorado clay shotgun patterning area and the reason is that's an area specifically designed to test the performance of guns, chokes, and ammo combinations at a given range or at various ranges from 20 to 50 yards. And what I mean by performance, I'm talking about you know point of aim versus point of impact, meaning um, when you have a good sight picture, you're looking down the gun, your bead is on your target, is your pattern centered over that target? Is it left, is it right, is it high, is it low? You can make those adjustments. Um, pattern diameter. So using a given choke um, you can check that at different distances and a lot of times you can see is your pattern round or do you have flyers outside the pattern and you can make adjustments on that with um, choke tubes uh, ammo velocities and even cleaning chokes sometimes will adjust on that Uh, pattern density and distribution is very important and when that mean by that density is it adequate to put enough target you know pellets on your target at a given range and are they evenly distributed so oftentimes um, you'll find that a a poor choke ammo selection you'll have holes in the pattern nearly as big as your intended target so those are all considerations Um, really that area is just mainly to make adjustments so that your sight picture point of aim point of impact choke and ammo selection are where they should be for your individual needs and uh, always the first place a person should start. Now, in addition to knowing what your, your, your distances are and how your gun is reacting with certain ammo and certain chokes at certain distances, another thing, I think people don't always judge distance very well in the field. You know, you, you and I were talking earlier in the week and you talked about using a target size to help you get better at recognizing distance. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I've seen this several times, Terry. So, you know, we talk about distance, this, that, what have you. Well, the Colorado Clays pattern area has those distances marked out on the ground, 20, 25, 30, et cetera, through 50 yards. 
So just judging that distance um, by seeing that is one thing, but I have a lot of folks that take it to the next level, and and, uh, it's good to see people take it that serious. They will actually draw a duck size representation with a marker. And, you know, most of the time I hear that they're kind of surprised um, that a 50-yard poke is longer than they thought. So it's good to see them um, taking all those considerations in and making sure their equipment performs um, so they have really good ethical hunting uh, skills. Now, what kind of shotguns do you usually recommend when somebody comes in and says, I'm going to do a lot of waterfall hunting? I mean, a lot of times people come out to your place, they'll shoot an over under a double barrel. I'm sure some shoot auto loaders, some shoot pumps, some even shoot single shots. What do you recommend for people as far as uh, waterfall hunting when they come out? Well, you know, Terry, a lot of that is personal preference. Now, Obviously, the gun that you shoot the best would be the best choice. Well, sometimes people have multiple guns. Um, I have a lot of guys that will use the over-under versus the pump or semi, even they are they're short one shell because they shoot it better. Um, I think a lot of that is individual. Uh, a lot of folks like having the, the full um, shells allowed in the gun by law, so obviously the pumps and semi-automatics will give you your, your three shots versus the two. Uh, but generally, I think it's it's more a personal preference thing and depends on what you're doing. And I always tell them, uh, use what you shoot the best. The one, one piece of advice I'll throw out on this is I know a lot of people love to have the three shots, but a lot of people working a pump will pull themselves off the shot as they pump for the next shot, and it takes them longer to get back on target. And the auto loaders, you get into some cold, cold, wet weather, and sometimes they don't function as well. So always be aware of those things affecting it too. So now what discipline? I'm at Colorado Clays. I want to practice for waterfall. What type of shooting should I do? Well, like you said, Terry, we have all the different games, whether it's trap, skeet, wobble trap, or pattern area training and sporting clays, but Colorado Clay Sporting Clays course, even though it's used throughout the year for a variety of, um, you know, things from whether it's recreational shooting, uh, you know, fundraising, corporate stuff, what have you, even competitions. Um, here's the thing, Terry. Sporting Clays, by definition and design, is a game intended to simulate actual shots you may encounter while you're in the field. So the Sporting Clays course is really the perfect set up and training for waterfowl. And as you make your way through the Colorado Clays 15 station course, uh, you'll notice that we have a course offering a wide variety of shots that our Colorado waterfowls will be encountering throughout the season. And what I mean is there's just a multitude of target uh, presentations with different speeds, angles, and distances. And different combinations are available. So you can come out, you can shoot single targets or pair target presentations. So you can kind of get that uh, two-shot thing figured out. Now, the beauty of the Colorado Clay system is that a person can shoot as many or few shots as you want and shoot them at whatever stations you want. And that just offers everybody the opportunity to gear your practice sessions to your particular needs. And another thing, I mean, you can do this alone as an individual with a delay or as a group with your friends. So, you know, it really just does not get any better than Colorado Clays for waterfowl prep. 
Yeah, well, and I think waterfall does present such a variety of shots because upland game almost always tend to start on the ground. Waterfall, you might be jump shooting, something that's taking off from low. You might have birds coming in on decoys. You might have be pass shooting at birds going over. So you really have to be skilled at not only recognizing what shots you should take, but then making a variety of shots. And sporting clays really, really seems to make sense for that, Jr. Uh, any last comments about it before we let you go? Well, like I say, Terry, any any trigger time practice is good. Um, our course uh, allows everybody the opportunity to really establish, uh, once you know your gun is shooting where it needs to be, to work on basically just gun mount drills, meaning that gun comes up, your stance is good, your sight picture is good, and work on the math, work on the target presentations that give you trouble, and up your game with just a few simple sessions out here, um, take it to the bank when you get to the river or lake or wherever you're going. What's the cost of shooting a round of sporting clays? So sporting clays is at the rate of $40 per 100. So a proper round is 100 targets through our 15-station course. going to take a couple hours. But, again, uh, we, we can prorate everything, shoot as many or few as you want, where you want, um, which is just makes it the perfect preparation. And we got a message from one of your customers. I'm going to pass it along to you in a text uh, later on today, and uh, I'll get that out to you. Uh, and I want to thank them for texting in. We don't have time right now, but, my friend, thank you for joining us. Good, Great information, as always. All right. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Thanks for joining us. JR from Colorado Clays. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Now, there's some scary Halloween music. I hope Dan is listening. We're not going to go to him yet, but it's appropriate to play that on Halloween. We'll talk more about that later. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to be wrapping things up. Uh, Before we get to our good friend Dan Jacobs, uh, there's a new state park that opened. It's Fisher's Peak. It's just south of Trinidad. It's going to be one of the larger parks in Colorado. It's not a water-based park, but it's going to have trails and picnic areas and camping. I don't know what is open yet. And hunting opportunities and wildlife watching. I would go to uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife website to get more information because this is going to be a unique opportunity at this park. They want visitors to come in, and they're going to develop this park over the next several years into just a tremendous outdoor recreation area. And they want input from the people who use the parks. What do you want to see there? What don't you want to see there? What amenities would you like on the property? So they want your input. So it's Fisher's Peak. It's south of Trinidad. Uh, When you get a chance, take a drive down there, look at the park, uh, go in and check it out and make some comments. Get back to them. Uh, Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to cover a lot of ice fishing. We're going to have some of the most renowned ice fishermen in the world on the show We'll have people like Dave Gentz and Burl Brosdahl. We had Steve Panaz on. We may get Greg Claudio. We'll get, of course, we have our own local guys, myself, Brad Peterson, Nate Zielinski, uh, Austin Parr. We'll, we're going to give a lot because I think it's going to be a real tremendous ice fishing season this year. We're going to have a lot of new people out. We're going to try to get you out there safely, but successfully, too. You know, the catch rate through the ice in Colorado is almost double than it is from shore. So, um, it's a great opportunity for people to get out and have some fun, some fun fishing. So we'll be talking about that. A lot of the fishing we cover on this show is 
in our on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Uh, we talked about North Park today up at Lake John. There's a couple of shows just ice fishing up there on my YouTube channel. In addition to a lot of the walleye fishing you hear us talk about, the bass fishing, a lot of that's featured. So check out our YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And follow us on Facebook. We post a lot of information, and we post a lot of the uh, podcasts you hear on this show on on that uh on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and it's Halloween. Get Do something with the kids. I'm not going to tell you what's safe and not safe with COVID. That's not my place. But do something to create some memories for those young kids. Keep, a, keep them happy. Keep a tradition going. And speaking of scary things and Halloween, I think Dan Jacobs is probably in studio. Is that right? Yes, I'm here, Terry. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, sir. I have a couple things to ask you. I want to ask you something about the Broncos, but before I do that, you tell, I know you cook a lot of briskets. I do. I cook a lot of tri-tips because I don't have the patience. I need it done in like 45 minutes. <laughs> right. So, so, so how, do you, how do you compare? I mean, I, and brisket, they're different meats, obviously. The brisket's kind of a pull-apart, tender meat. The tri-tip, once you cut it, ends up kind of more like a cross between a roast and a steak. Do you do tri-tips at all? Yeah, I do. I do a tri-tip on my uh, pellet grill, my smoker. Um, they're real big in California. That's kind of like the barbecue cut in California that they eat a lot of. But, yeah, it's more like a steak. It's, um, you know, I'll rub it. I'll put my rub on there. And you're right. It's um, You get it up to – I like things I, – I don't like real super rare, but most people will have their tri-tip pretty rare. Um, I think I get mine up to about 135 internal temp, and then you let it rest. And it comes up, you know, to get a little bit, you know, it continues to cook after you pull it. Um, but yeah, dry right. tips come off real nice. They come. It's just like if you do it right, you gotta cook, you gotta prepare them properly. Otherwise, they they're a little chewy. But if you if you yeah. do it right, they're you tender. have to cut them. You have yeah. to cut them right too. The grain changes in them, so you got to cut from two different places. I love dry tips, and you know, a lot of the stores are carrying pre-marinated ones now, and they're actually pretty good. Yeah. But I'm gonna so I'm gonna try to rub one down. But I just wondered if you'd done a done a tri-tip now i got all this talk about drew lock first of all he's a young kid people need to remember john elway's first 16 games what was he like four and 12 or something i mean he was horrendous his first season um and what they got around him what the coaching's been like i think to hear him talk coming off this last game kind of humbling which is probably good because that makes you more coachable but are you worried at all about his confidence I'm not worried about his confidence. I'm worried about his maturity. Uh, I I had been optimistic about Drew Locke. I started to see things now. Um, for example, him pointing down the uh, you know taunting the linebacker on you know the one play he made all game. You know he's he's taunting people, uh, making comments in the media about well people uh, people make you know criticizing me can't can't play that you know that they can't be on the field and doing this. Um, I'm worried about his maturity, not his confidence. He's supremely confident. Well, and I think, though, he did seem like in his last uh, press conference during the week here, he came across a little more humble. He kind of took some ownership of the bad play. Um, what do you think about all these ta- this talk about his footwork and changing it, whether he's under center or from the shotgun? Because I think if you try to change somebody too much you t- and they think about it, you also take away natural talents. How do you, what do you feel about that? Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, the footwork's always been an issue. It's been a criticism of him ever since he was in college. 
The problem right now with Drew Locke is he just doesn't seem to be doing very much well. He's not particularly accurate. Um, he's not reading the field very well. He's not seeing. He's not making the easy little throws. So he's got a whole lot he needs to get better on because right now uh, you're like, hey, run it out the rest of the season, and, and then if he doesn't improve significantly, they're going to have to go find somebody else. Yeah, I think this next few games will tell. And I don't. that doesn't mean they have to win – you know, the majority of the games even, we just have to see his play go to a different place. So what are we going to hear on your show today? Well, we'll be talking about Drew Locke. Um, our good friend Kevin Kistner's here. Uh, he he wants to – Jerry Judy, I think, has been a kind of a big disappointment so far. He was he got a lot of hype. Um, he really hasn't produced. Uh, there's a nice article on 1043thefan.com. We'll be talking about that. D-Mac will be joining us in about 20 minutes. Also, it's James Merillette's birthday We'll have him on at noon. That's scary that James's birthday is on Halloween. I know. I mean, that really, that that's kind of ominous. That kind of says something, doesn't it? Yes. All right, my friend. I will let you go and get ready, and we will send it to you in just a minute. All right. Thanks, Derek. You bet. Hope you enjoyed today's show. We're going to wrap it up here in just a second. But I want to go back and cover some of the things. There's a ton of opportunities out there right now. I know we've got a lot of new outdoor enthusiasts, and we've got a lot of experienced outdoor enthusiasts, and everybody's trying to decide what to do. There's a plethora of activities out there right now, and they're all going really well. The open water fishing is phenomenal. You can go up to Lake John and fish off the shore. They're catching huge trout. Same thing down at uh, Antero. Uh, I think today is the last day for boating at Antero and 11 Mile, but they are catching great fish at both those places. A lot of great fishing. The rivers, the water cooled down, the trout kind of gathered a little bit, changed their patterns, and now the flows are just a little bit better from the snow. I think this next week you're going to see great fly fishing, especially places like the Colorado, maybe the Arkansas. Uh, whatever, and some of the other rivers, if you can get into the Big Thompson and the Poudre, uh, the highway is open on the Poudre, and there is a lot of public access there. I just don't know how much of the public access is open. I haven't had a chance to check it. Great fishing opportunities, though. The waterfall hunting, this last snowfall pushed down just a huge number of ducks that are new to the area. Great time to get out and do some duck hunting. So you got that to look forward to. And the stock trout, if you're just a a weekend angler who likes to get out or maybe take the kids out and catch some fish, go to any of up and down the front range, like St. Varane parks and even the lakes, like boy, they're going to be heavily stocking with trout and you'll be able to go and catch them from shore and just have a great, great time. The cool water will keep them close to shore. So get out, enjoy the outdoors. Join us every Saturday from nine to 11 right here. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour Dan Jacobs on 104.3 The Fan. Such a